listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. My name is Banas Sarami, your host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If you're new to the podcast, I'm a pharmacogenomics medical science liaison and a mentor to pharmacists. Connect with me on LinkedIn and let's start the conversation going. I want to hear from you and how you're impacting patients, payers, or clinicians, and what you've learned through your journey to share with us. Being a PGX advocate requires going beyond a certificate and reading an actionable genetics report. I want to hear from you, so let's connect. Um, PGX for Pharmacists podcast is focused on learning the science behind PGX since that's where the missing gap is for both providers and pharmacists. And that's the missing gap also, which will push PGX into adoption. We also cover business side of uh, business side of it, along with reimbursement and more. So stay tuned for more episodes. If you have been following our episodes, you will know that we've talked about DPYD testing and had an amazing guest who shared her mother's tragic story with us a while back. It's it's It was such an important topic that I want to address it again on this podcast. So in case you missed it, you will be learning a lot today. And if you did listen to it, there's still so much more to learn. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, DPYD is a gene that provides instructions for making an enzyme called uh, dihydropyrimidine dehydrogenase, or DPD for short. This enzyme plays a very important role in breaking down a substance called uracil, which is found in our DNA and RNA. Any mutation in this gene, the DPYD gene, can lead to a decrease in or absence of DPD activity, which if you think about it, can cause a buildup of uracil in the body. So if someone is DPD deficient, it can make it difficult for the body to process certain chemotherapy drugs, and it can lead to severe side effects such as nerve damage, GI problems, and even death. So you can start to see the importance of a genetic testing before being placed on a chemo um, agent to see if there's a DPD deficiency. So according to Advocates for Universal DPD, DPYD testing, or AUDT for short, Europe is becoming the standard of care for testing for this gene. And only in some selected institutions in the U.S. the testing is being done. AUDT is a a nonprofit organization that's made up of a group of patient advocates and medical professionals who are seeking to improve treatment outcomes for patients that are preparing to receive chemotherapy based on fluoropyrimidine drugs. We have with us today one of the founders of this nonprofit organization, Karen Merritt. She lost her mom in 2014 due to being DPD deficient and after getting her first infusion of 5-FU. Karen dedicated herself to advocating and raising awareness 
about pre-testing for DPD deficiency before fluoropyrimidine chemotherapy administrations to reduce unnecessary suffering. Thanks, Karen, for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you, Banaz, for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be able to share about this important topic um, and educate more people as patients need to be aware of what's out there. Yeah. Um, especially as we know more and more about the human genome and that we all metabolize medicine differently. Prior to 2014, when my mom passed away, I knew nothing about pharmacogenomics and I knew nothing that our bodies could have different variants and that even within a family, um, the variants aren't all the same or aren't passed on. Um, so my mom began, like you said, she had her first infusion of 5-FU, which is a fluoropyrimidine chemotherapy. And the oral uh, version is capecitabine, also called Zolota. And um, she, she started on June 9th, 2014, and she died on July 2nd. So not very long from her first infusion to when she died. She was set up to have two treatments of this with concurrent radiation. Um, my mom had a, a port put in, so it was a, a, you know, a continuous infusion. She had been a nurse and she knew that she was dehydrated um, from all the diarrhea and vomiting. She called her oncologist who said, you know, you need to get some hydration. So she went to the emergency room, which was five days after her infusion had started and got uh, IV fluids, but they didn't really um, observe her well enough. So um, emergency rooms don't know how to um, diagnose this toxicity to 5-FU. They didn't even call her oncologist and the oncologist did not follow up. So if they'd been educated about 5-FU toxicity, perhaps they would have taken other steps. Um, now there is a what they call an antidote to 5-FU toxicity called uridine triacetate or Vistagard. This got FDA approval, um, but not until the end of 2014. Um, and it's not always administered properly and, and it's very expensive. So a lot of hospitals don't keep it on um, stock. So my mom um, went home from the ER and her conditions continued to worsen and she became weaker. On June 19th, so nine days after her first infusion was started, she got out of bed and fell and was unable to stand up. So she was taken to the hospital by ambulance. By this time, her mouth was so sore and she could barely swallow or talk. They couldn't even get her to explain how she was feeling in the emergency room. My stepdad needed to do it. At this time, they informed us that this was a much worse reaction to 5-FU than normal, and that with her level of mucositis, they suspected DPD deficiency. At this time, we were like, what is DPD deficiency? So um, we Googled it, of course, and found out more than we wanted to know and wondered why had we not been told about this before? Why had she not been tested? And the oncologist had told us that it was not possible to suspect this DPD deficiency prior to treatment. This is written in her medical record. With what we know now, we know this not to be the case. She could have been tested beforehand, and she was now past the window of opportunity for Vistacard. The oncologist said that 
her mucositis would last for several days and she would eventually recover. Well, this was false hope. The damage was already done. By June 25th, she was in a comatose state and unresponsive. <laughs> her white blood cell count was 0.1, which basically meant she has, was not able to fight off any infection. She continued to suffer in the hospital with round-the-clock care, and on July 2nd, 2014, she died. It was a lot of suffering that she went to in a horrible way to die. Unfortunately, on her death certificate, the number one cause of death was listed as cardiac arrest. We should have fought to change that. It should have been an adverse reaction to 5-FU, which was listed as the fourth or fifth reason on her death certificate. We like to remember my mom, Linda, as so easy to live with and so hard to live without. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I really am. Um, do you, and you, I know you're not the only person that had to go through this with your mom or actually, you know, some people, their siblings, family members, things like that. But um, but you bring up a good point about the the reason why she died. Is there, I mean, it was pretty clear by how you described it that everybody realized it was an ad, a side effect of that medication. Is there a reason why they you know, decided to put cardiac arrest instead? Uh, perhaps so the hospital didn't have to report it as an adverse drug event or just like factually at the end, it was her heart that gave out. I gotcha, yeah. Yeah. So tell us uh, about the, uh, the nonprofit organization that you created and why you did that and how are you reaching more people and not just the individuals going through chemotherapy and their caregivers, perhaps, but also, you know, um, perhaps the clinicians or the oncologists or things like that, which is probably even more important. Well, yes. So um, advocates for universal DPD, DPYD testing. Um, we actually um, started the nonprofit formally last April. So it's been a year, sorry, year anniversary. Um, when we were in the hospital with my mom, we were searching online, you know, for this DPD deficiency, what causes it, what, what can we do about it? How can we get her better? And found, came across a website called Know the Risks of 5-FU Chemotherapy. This website was started by a man whose wife died in 2012 with an eerily similar story to my mom. And so um, contacted him as other people have. And we started having um, regular Zoom calls and decided that we would go to the ASCO Quality Care Symposium. And from that, um, just talking to oncologists, we decided that we needed to formally become a nonprofit so people would be, take us seriously and we would have a stronger platform to connect and to go to conferences, which is how I met you, Banas. And we don't want others to go through yes. the suffering that our family members have gone through. And so it's important to, to be aware of this. Um, you know, 1,300 Americans die every year per the U.S. National Library of Medicine from 5-FU toxicity. This is like six jumbo jets. I don't understand as a lay person how in the United States we allow this to happen. Um, yeah. In January 2023, there was an article in the Journal of Clinical Oncology that said 9% of the U.S. population is at risk 
if they're given the fluoropyrimidine chemotherapy without being tested first. Yeah, and it leaves us to wonder why clinicians don't first don't know about it or don't actually, even if they know about it, they don't take it seriously to recommend here's is a test. You you know, let's consider it and this is why. And to give the option to the patient to decide if that's one, something they want to do or not. I don't know if it's a cost issue. I don't know if it's insurance covers it or not. And depending on which insurance, but I, I really don't. Do you know... Um, Outside of obviously bringing more awareness, and it's, it's not a high percentage, but it's still a lot con- considering. Uh, and why don't clinicians more, especially in the oncology, know about this test to even bring it forward to their patients? I think maybe they haven't had a patient who had a significantly bad or maybe didn't die. If you see a patient who does suffer with it, I think it makes you more likely to want to test, but uh, one of the um, oncologists we know is when you're starting out, I think you don't want to be an outlier as an oncologist and want to have this test, Um, but some of the more seasoned or uh, respected oncologists you'd think, and I would think as a layperson, that they would want to to require testing. And and that's what we're seeing happening is um, oncologists who have had patients um, passed this way or working with somebody who's they've seen the reaction to 5-FU or capecitabine and then they're seeing the amount of studies that are being published just in the last I would say 12 to 14 months um, with um, saying you know cancer centers are nudging oncologists toward DPYD testing and um, there's been a lot of studies on the assessment of clinical utility and about putting patient safety first. So I think it's, I think we are seeing a lot of momentum and, and things are going to change, but it's still, we're, we're, we still can't give up. We still need to continue. Um, our um, president of our nonprofit has petitioned the FDA with some help of some others to change the labeling and to recommend testing and written letters to the NCCN and ASCO about changing the standards of care. Um, and we're, we're seeing some agreement and as part of the FDA's project renewal, which is where they're updating the labeling of older approved chemotherapy, just in December 14th, 2022, they updated the labeling for Zolota or they're starting the process of updating it and recommending that oncologists speak to their patients about DPD deficiency. So this is a huge change. If if oncologists are now going to be reading the labeling and seeing, oh, I should be talking to my patients about DPD deficiency, I think there will be more people that are going to say, well, yeah, I want to be tested, especially when you say like anywhere between three and 9% of the population has deep, has a DPD deficiency. I'm not going to be prescribing this to somebody or to my family member. So why would I prescribe it to anybody else without getting a test? Um, yeah. Oh, I'm glad there's that momentum going. I wonder if there's a language that can be used instead of recommend, but required. I wonder how do we get to that point of required testing? How do they determine if a, if a patient comes in and it's a recommended, how do they determine that patient will be the one that they would test? 
like yeah so you know i just to me makes more sense that's a required testing because you don't know yeah especially when you think about um the patients that live closer to some of the larger cancer centers those are the ones that are going to be getting the testing first if it's just recommended if it's required then a patient, whether they're in a rural community or living next to a, you know, uh, one of the comprehensive cancer centers, it's it will be become an inequitable treatment, right? If it's only right. recommended, right? And then also, in addition, is there language added if you see these symptoms, stop it, and you know, get the um, antidote? Like, I wonder if that language is in there. Well, it, very interesting that you mentioned that because if you go to, if you Google Vistagard and go and, and watch a video on their website, um, Vistagard, I think, has not proven to be the antidote that they thought because, if, for instance, in my mom's situation, almost the um, the damage had already been done because she was completely deficient. That wow. Vistagard... I don't know what Vistagard would have done if it had if it would have reversed it. And in in some situations when they administer it, most patients at the time are on a um, a feeding tube, and Vistagard a lot of it's hard to you want to break it up and give it to people with applesauce. So I think it is problematic when you're trying to do that through a, a feeding tube. I gotcha. That that makes sense. Yeah. It's um, we we're seeing a lot of good momentum, and I think there are you know some great reasons for this. Um, it aligns with the president's cancer moonshot of the right treatment for the right patient, um, and we are seeing some providers that are doing testing. For instance, um, Norris Cotton Center, University of Colorado, University of Michigan, Dana Farber. University of California, San Francisco. So with the more and more that are doing testing, and then that becomes the standard of care what other people are doing, even if NCCN hasn't changed their guidelines. Right. We will continue to petition the NCCN and ASCO asking them to recommend or require um, treatment. You know, it's, it's too important. It's a, like pharmacogenomics, as you know, as a pharmacist, it's a quality improvement strategy, right? Why, right. why should patients not get the right dose for the right person at the at right the start? Time? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, that is a challenge. And just like every cancer is not the same, you know, every person is not the same and we all metabolize drugs differently. And this is for me in the last nine years, I've learned so much and I continue to talk to other people, but um, until it's more widely known and out there, it's, it's really hard. People, we trust our doctors. We go to our doctors and they prescribe something and it, it might not be the right, the right medicine for you. And it could be something as simple as, you know, Prilosec versus Nexium. Those are medicines that treat antacids, right? Or they're antacids, but they work differently. So one, one might not work for somebody, but like next Prilosec might not work for somebody, but Nexium might. And that was like my situation just in the last couple of years. Um, 
the the other thing that that we're we're trying how we're trying to get people to be more aware or to know about EPD deficiency and pharmacogenomics is um, meeting with cancer centers and oncologists and precision medicine um, conferences and just sharing the the patient perspective because we're we're always hearing from oncologists or hospital administrators. Um, it's very important to see the the patient experience and hear what the patient reported outcomes are. Um, you know, it's 1,300 deaths a year. That's a lot of people. That don't have to die. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that um, I've been trying, working on is I'm trying to get two, two large U.S., well, actually, they're international laboratories to change their DPYD panel um, to increase the number of variants on it. The lab that tested my mom only tested for the most common um, variant, and this was her last vial of blood we tested after she had already passed away. And that lab only tests for the star 2A variant, and I am the star 13. And so I inherited DPD deficiency from my mom, but yet these two large labs, if I was tested by them, they would say I was not DPD deficient. So it's important also that these laboratories follow CPIC guidelines. I was fortunate to get my test um, done at my local provider in Seattle, and they sent my uh, blood sample to the Mayo Clinic who tests for eight variants. And I also did a direct-to-consumer um, test and found out how I metabolized some other drugs, and that confirmed my DPYD variant of STAR-13. So I was very fortunate that um, the direct-to-consumer test that I used tests for three variants. The yeah. lab are important too. Yeah, so I was going to say, you're, you've answered two of my questions already. I was going to ask you what else, you know, outside of really awesome things you're doing um, higher level to get this testing done or at least advocate for it, um, you know, at the kind of a, I don't want to say lower level, but in the community, what else are you doing to get this message across, which you just answered through the hospitals and things like that? But you're very knowledgeable in this space just outside of knowing the um, genetics of it, but also understanding that every lab reports the same and what that means having different variants. So a lot of people are probably listening on the call may not know. So it's kind of uh, amazing how you've taken so much time to learn this genetics language, I call it, because it's not very easy. So um, I, I appreciate that. I know it, it's probably taken a long time to get here. But um, I, I wish I had known more in um, in 2014. I feel like, uh, you know, we might have had a little more um, luck talking with the the hospital and the cancer clinic where my mom was um, treated to have them start testing all their patients um, yeah. and all of the members of of audit is what we call that the nonprofit, we are all working with cancer centers in our, in our local um, cities, as well as trying to um, talk with others on LinkedIn and um, find other oncologists and pharmacists who 
um, have a passion for precision medicine and pharmacogenomics as the standard of care. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the resources out there for, you know, caretakers, maybe those patients or providers, if they wanted to learn more, you, you meet with them, they're like, oh, this is okay, this is interesting. I'd never heard of it. I want to learn more. Where else can I go? So to learn more, there's always the question um, I get, especially oh. from providers. Um, well, um, our website is um, test for dpd.org and it's test the like the word and then the number four dpd.org so t-e-s-t for dpd.org on there you can read about it you can see links to a lot of studies um, you can see cancer centers that are testing and um, there's also a page on there with how to talk to your oncologist sometimes um, you might get a situation where you want you talk to your doctor about this, but the, for some reason that, and I'm only a lay person. Some reason, some people you're can't, more than a lay person, but <laughs> some people can't wait for testing. They need to start their treatment right away based on right. how um, aggressive their um, cancer is. And one of the amazing things now about DPYD testing is there are labs you can you can get your um, your lab results back very quickly. Like mine came back in five days. I think depending on where you are, um, Mayo Clinic turns it around. You know, I think in under 14 days is what they say. Mine came back in five days. Um, one of the doctors on our medical advisory board, he um, does a DPYD uh, panel at his intake appointment. So when he's setting up for other scans, he also does this DPYD testing so that he can get them all back. And sometimes probably the DPYD um, panel comes back before some of the, the PET scans or MRIs. Um, and I think a lot of oncologists don't want to, or, or maybe not advocating for pretreatment testing because uh, fluoropyrimidine chemotherapy is a really great treatment for solid tumors for so many people, mm -hmm. but it's harmful and even fatal for others. So I think that we don't want to scare people, but yet, yet it's, you know, knowledge is power. If you know how right. your body is going to react to something, you know, either, you know, based on CPIC guidelines, you can reduce the dose, or if you're completely deficient, then you need to find a different chemotherapy. Yeah, that, that's right. And some one of the questions that I've, um, I've gotten this past week was, how do I have this conversation with my doctor, which has no idea about this and doesn't believe me? And uh, like I say, no, I want this test done, for example. It, it, it's not this specific um, gene, for example, or um, oncology, but they, when it comes to, they, they know like you a little more, more about the genes the genetics and things like that. And they want to have this conversation, but their provider doesn't have the knowledge. What does that conversation look like? What do you recommend the patient? Uh, how does the patient uh, approach a provider um, with that conversation? Well, yeah, like, like I said, on our website, there are some um, pointers on how to talk to your oncologist. And I think printing out some of this, the scientific studies and um, 
It seems when you come in as an informed patient and ask your provider with scientific studies printed, which they can get from our website, um, I feel like a provider is going to get you the testing and also be thankful that they were uh, are made aware about these um, problems. You know, I don't think um, 5-FU toxicity was talked about or or um, was part of so much. a lot of mm-hmm. curriculum mm-hmm. for oncologists, even pharmacists, right? Because now they're yeah. now you can go back as a pharmacist and get a um, a PGX certification or take more classes. So it's exciting for me to see that pharmacy schools are also um, teaching about this mm-hmm. more and more. And um, DPD deficiency is rare, but if we know that it's that it can happen, it, it to me it's a no brainer, right? Let's test. It's you know two hundred dollar test versus my mom was in intensive care with you know four or five specialists and medicine so many medicines for two weeks yeah the the cost comparison right there just seems like we should we should be testing yeah we we had christina back uh we had christina a while back who also talked about her mom and kind of very similar story which is um why you two really had to be connected when i met you um you know, and I really always want to continue this awareness and bring it onto the podcast or a network. Um, how can we, uh, I want to say pharmacy podcast network, but specifically PGX for pharmacists, because it's not just pharmacists listening to the podcast. It's a lot more diverse group of people listening um, to this podcast. So how can we help um, increase this awareness and testing um, um, for our, in this in the podcast? Oh, I think just what would you love to happen? I guess I should say, what would I love to happen? I would love to see the uh, NCCN and ASCO and the FDA require treatment before DPD or before uh, fluoropyrimidine treatment, just like it's happening in, in many parts of Europe. That would save so many lives. Um, yeah. Wonder and, why they're more forward over there than here. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that's that is a good question. I think it's it's so important that we, um, as patients, understand the risks and share what we know with others, and that um, oncologists will hopefully start requesting DPYD testing prior to fluoropyrimidine treatment. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, now they don't have to wait until it's the standard of care. Um, also, I think what I've learned is oncologists are so busy. So hospital administrators play a part in this too, right? They need to make it easy for an oncologist when they're seeing a patient on their system, you know, in whatever technical or um, electronic health record is to request a DPYD test, right? Make it easy. Right. And yeah. pharmacists doing like you're doing, educating others about um, pharmacogenomics and how we all metabolize drugs differently. And thankfully, insurance 
um, providers or in, yeah, the payers, insurance companies are changing and starting to cover these costs. My um, DPYD panel was paid 100% by my insurance. I was I was surprised. Oh, well, that's that's so good to know, because that was my next question to see um, if it was because I know you did yours. So it's good to know. Um, I wonder if it depends on where you had yours done or whether just that test is covered regardless of which lab you had selected. Um, yeah, I'm not saying you have the answer, but um, those are things that, you know, to look into. So I don't know if you, you know, some patients may need to call their insurance and get a pre-authorization on that, or maybe the hospital will do that work for them. I, I'm not really not sure, but these are all the questions that, and things that the hospital or the provider can really provide to make it easier for this thing to be done and then get the results, like you said, sooner than later. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think some hospitals that are doing testing are bringing testing in house so that they can save a little oh, bit of perfect money, right? Some other right. hospitals um, that right now, if they don't have the lab capability, they can send it send it out. Um, and but it is important for for patients to know um, if their insurance will cover it and have that conversation with their oncologist and the hospital that they're being treated at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm uh, grateful for you to come on and share your story. I know you probably had uh, many people before me that wanted you to share their story for awareness and education purpose. So reliving that, I know it's not easy, but we appreciate it to bring more awareness for everyone listening. Um, is there anything you want the audience to take that you've already provided a lot uh, of information, but is there one last thing you wanted to let the audience know before I let you go? Oh, well, I, um, we are going to be our nonprofit um, at the American Society of Clinical Oncologists annual meeting in June. We're very excited to be able to, um, you know, get the information out there and into the hands of more oncologists from a face-to-face -face, um, conversation and, you know, not ignoring the human cost of DPD deficiency any longer. We know we know it, we have the science to test for it. And so now it's it's time to act on this, right? It, this is a, a patient safety matter. And pharmacogenomics is a, um, a quality improvement strategy for hospitals. So I, I hope that hospitals um, will start seeing it as that a, a quality improvement matter that they can make part of their clinical implementation plan so that they can reduce suffering and save lives. Well, thank you for that. And I appreciate everything you do every single day for everyone you're touching lives. I, I appreciate that. We appreciate that. Thank you, Karen. Well, thank you, Banaz, for, um, uh, it was wonderful to meet you. And also I think the connections like you connected me with Christina and heard her mom's story with Cape Cytobine. And um, it's, it's very sad to hear of the suffering that others have gone through. And that's why audit um, is so passionate about what we're doing, because we don't want anybody else to lose a loved one and go through this, have them go through the suffering that our loved ones did. Definitely. And thank you, Karen. 
And thank you everyone for listening to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. We do a lot of PGXing on here, the science, the business, the reimbursement piece of PGX. We want to hear from you. So let us know what you're thinking by leaving us a review or let us know what you want to hear more of on our next episode. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.